where today we're trying to cover a whole range of issues uh, around about the bigger picture for the EU uh, and the EU Schengen Zone. So welcome, thank you for joining us and uh, uh, let, let's jump straight into it in terms of uh, what we're aiming to discuss today. Look at issues around the EU and, and uh, the migration crisis, but the crisis also in the wider world that are going on around the EU and uh, what the implications of that in the, in the short and the longer term. <clears throat> Not least because um, this week, 25th of September, was the quarter day of the year. So the, we're into the last quarter of 2023 uh, and with an Indian summer where the opportunity is for um, uh, India to become a major economy and a major player in the world. Uh, we've seen uh, lots of changes and advances being made in, in recent times. The population of India is bigger than, than China um, and, and with it, it's been courted by the West as well as the East to be uh, a major player in the, the geopolitical shifts that are going on as uh, China uh, stand between the, the Russian situation and, and the Western democracies. Um, but also, uh, you've got great education in India. You've got great uh, mass of young, talented, well-educated people that can provide uh, a great insight in terms of technology and know-how and working uh, in the professions uh, around the world. So how does uh, India unlock that potential uh, for the country itself and, and within the wider world? So this is the issue that we're facing. It's a challenge for the West. It's a challenge for India to be the dynamic economy of the next 20 years in the way that China has been in the past. With China, you see that they, they've had for many years a limited number of children. So they've got an elderly population and a limited number of younger people to stop the population growing and growing. But now they've got an older population, smaller workforce, uh, property crisis um, uh, with bad debts, with Evergrande defaulting on their current debt payment uh, during the last few weeks as well. So uh, it's a bit of an Indian summer. And where would it lead? Uh, let's watch this space going abroad um, uh, going forward. For more information and guidance on relocating abroad and living and working abroad, contact us at productpartnership.com. Meanwhile, there's an EU migrant crisis, uh, not just in India, but around the world. Uh, the the, the med medical improvements around the world have, have reduced uh, infant mortality. A hundred years ago, <clears throat> even in, the, in Europe, infant mortality was 50% up to the age of 20. As that's been reduced around the world, Populations have boomed and they're still not stabilised. And, and now that the world, half the population of the world is below the age of 25. Those people are looking for jobs and opportunity uh, and, and a way forward. And now we have the migrant crisis. And we need to understand exactly what that is. In, in the 1950s, the UN set up uh, <clears throat> an asylum protocol uh, where countries that sign up to uh, uh, the United Nations 
um, protection system for asylum are, have to follow a, a set of rules to offer and consider the asylum request for a person arriving in their country. Asylum is to flee persecution. So in the, in the 1950s, you're talking about uh, the, just after the Second World War, where the Germans uh, invading most of Europe and, and Russia uh, into trying to initially to unite the Germanic people, uh, but also do their own bit, their own version of, of, of ethnic cleansing. Um, <clears throat> and that's the basis on which asylum seeking w w was created. Uh, and asylum can be granted if your city is being bombed, uh, if, if uh, there's a revolution or there's a military uh, force that's forcing you out, then asylum can be granted. Um, and, and this is what all the people arriving in a country are trying to use as the basis of their claim uh, to be given permission to live in that, in that country and work in that country. Uh, but it's about fleeing persecution. Now, if there's a genuine war or an endangerment to life, then that is persecution. But a lot of the migrants are actually just migrant workers. They're people looking for a better opportunity, a new start in a richer country. And, and uh, that, that plea, that, that fleeing persecution is being supported and, and amended by uh, judgments made around the world, including the European Court of Human Rights, where, where they're making judgments to say that uh, persecution could be, um, uh, it, it, or does that involve your, your sexual orientation? Does it involve your, whether you want to transgender? Does it involve whether you're tall, short, fat, thin? Uh, whether you're from one ethnic group or another? What, 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 what is the definition of persecution? Was it that you just don't fit in with that culture? And, and this is what the issue is. If somebody's looking to relocate abroad, um, every country has a system where if you want to work permit, there's a system for being offered a contract, uh, bringing your skills to a country uh, and uh, applying those skills and, and getting the work done on that basis. If you want to study abroad, the study visas can be earned and give you the right to work while you're studying. Um, but it's the economic migrants that are creating the great stresses. And of course, Europe is a great attraction for the young people of Africa to give them a, a, a leg up and a, a, a leg start. Uh, and this migrant crisis has been an issue for many years in the UK. And the UK hasn't stood up for itself uh, in this dispute with France and uh, will it stand up to it in the future? Somebody seeking asylum in the UK, if they're coming from a safe country, i.e. France, where they're not being persecuted for any reason, the persecution is in another country, be that Syria, be that uh, Iran, um, uh, be that uh, uh, an African Republic, they're fleeing from France into, into Europe. That is not what the International Convention requires. And, and in fair play, the French should not let those people uh, leave. They should be offering them accommodation and uh, assessing their asylum in France. But they're choosing not to do that. 
And this is a, a political situation that, that's progressed over the years. Now, it's not entirely of, of France's making. Um, you've, we've got Austria, which have introduced border checks um, uh, with Slovenia, a fellow EU member, because of the number of migrants coming across land uh, from the east in, 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 into the EU, uh, into Austria. And once you're into uh, uh, Austria, A, you could claim asylum there, but obviously those asylum seekers are then making their way to France and some of those coming over to the UK. Um, so is it, is it right that the UK have to accept asylum seekers uh, fleeing persecution in a third country when they're already in a safe country, which is France? And that is an issue, an ethical, a political issue that France and uh, the EU and the UK need to resolve for themselves. On the reverse side, um, and, and, and where the issue has been forced from within the EU, is that Italy have got exactly the same thing. Across their water border from North Africa, uh, they estimate they're going to get 200,000 migrants landing this year. Now, there's been some agreement all, all along, some fudge along with the EU to accept these migrants and spread them out through, through the EU. But that we can now see is causing problems and countries don't want to take on those people. We get a, a German economic decline, a recession, there's less jobs uh, for local people and, and less jobs for, for migrant workers. Um, and now uh, Italy is struggling under EU agreements to relocate these migrants around uh, the EU and they're being left with that burden of asylum in themselves. So the, e the international asylum laws say that if, if an asylum seeker lands in your country fleeing persecution, and you should follow an international set of legal standards to assess their claim in that country. The EU allows uh, for people to be spread among the EU and move into different countries to make those assessments under the EU banner. However, um, that, that is backfiring on a country like the UK, which people are being allowed to flow through the EU into, um, into, into the UK. Now, Austria have addressed that with their own border checks for people coming from fellow EU country, Slovenia and Germany are talking about introducing border checks as well. Um, and so the, the whole concept of the EU Schengen zone is under threat. That's supposed to be a free zone of movement for people, property, capital and jobs uh, for anybody who's legally allowed to live and work in, in that environment. But with the border so porous, uh, um, around the EU and the migrant crisis is forcing that rethink. So should that rethink should be on the terms of asylum? Uh, should uh, uh, processing of asylum seekers in third countries be allowed? These are the issues that need to be addressed uh, by the world economy. But if you're looking to work or, or uh, live abroad uh, using uh, traditional rules, um, and, and you want more help and guidance on that uh, for living and working abroad, contact us at projectpartnership.com. The EU is going through a bit of a stagnation at the moment, um, or it's a recession. So you, you look in around the world, in all the different economies, you see 
that you've got uh, uh, recessions being around where economies are coming out of COVID, trying to re reignite that. And we talked before where it's, it's actually more like the 70s where you've got um, too much money, high inflation, and, and the whole economy needs to reset. But there's also this change that's going on and this drive to to get to change the whole infrastructure of the way we work uh, to stop global warming. Now, global warming happens over millions of years, and yet we've been convinced that it, 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 it's all being created and it's all, we're all going to die now unless we do something in the next five or ten years against global warming. I'm not an advocate. I don't know the science of, of global warming. But do we need to go through the massive technical structural change of of ripping out all the the cars all the boilers all the the existing um uh, energy sources that we've got uh, to rebuild new ones straight away uh, at an uh, an environmental and capital expense uh, which can, then becomes a drain on the economy and is that electricity cheaper anyway uh, uh, are we using the best technologies wouldn't it be better if, if, if the move towards a more um, sustainable model for the world uh, was an evolution from where we are um, based upon supply and demand? Um, you know, there's lots of people drinking bottles of water and throwing that plastic away straight away. What a waste. Why are we doing that? that that's one question. But do we need to rip out uh, an efficient gas boiler that could be used for another 20 years without manufacturing new uh, electric capacity and installing in all that in, in place. Um, <clears throat> infrastructure, the evolution. Um, th these are the questions and, and the right type of capital investment for the future development could actually see the world grow more sustainably. Uh, we should be able to travel and move around um, uh, across border uh, to live and work. Uh, a global economy all working together with wealth distributing um, and wealth making opportunities for every country, be that India or in Africa or South America, North America, Europe or Russia. All those countries involved in wealth creation and, and quality of life. Um, would, would then also stop the migrant crisis. Um, and so do we need a big eco-infrastructure or do we need an evolution and a mission by everybody following that path going forward? Uh, live your lifestyle and be effective where you are um, and get a balance of nature and, and uh, uh, utilisation of vehicles uh, that we see today. For more information and guidance, on living and working abroad, contact us at brokepartnership.com. If you look at the EU recession as well, um, the, the major changes going through with, with car firms, and this is really, really quite interesting. We all see the people driving these big four by fours and, and off-road vehicles that people like, or fast uh, super vehicles. And yet we're being told that we all got to drive tepid little electric cars going forward and that um, uh, this company is not going to produce uh, any more, only going to produce electric cars from 2030. That's absolutely fine. 
doesn't mean necessarily that we can't continue to drive our existing cars. Uh, in the EU, all number plates are, are, are dated so that you know when the car went on the road. There's many vehicles uh, in the EU that you can see that, that are many, many years old. But some countries have systems to scrap cars uh, sooner uh, as a way of boosting car manufacture uh, as much as anything else. But an efficient modern electric, um, uh, efficient modern petrol car or diesel car of today, in theory, could keep running for another 10 or 20 or 30 years. So we're not going to see a world of electric cars suddenly appear overnight, even if they are the best. Uh, Toyota were pioneers in hydrogen uh, technology, uh, which is actually, if we think about it, the best technology to adopt for the future. When we burn carbon-based fuels, we get carbon plus oxygen, carbon dioxide, global warming. When we burn hydrogen plus oxygen, we get water and we get a shower, uh, extra rain, um, more, more water in the sea. Uh, so the, the evolution of a stagnation, uh, but German car sales are slumping, their economy is slumping back to the 80s as they try to adjust to the post-COVID EU uh, dynamism uh, that, that's going on. This week we're looking at uh, changes all around the EU and how that's affecting expats that are living and working abroad. The EU has got this open border policy where uh, EU citizens have got the freedom of movement of capital and work and, and lifestyle and yet the economic crisis, economic stagnation, or, or new economies emerging around the world uh, put that under threat. <clears throat> and what we see now is uh, the other approach that the EU has used over the last 70 years is that it's trying to position itself and remodel itself to allow it to do with additional expansion. And what it's looking to do is to consider um, uh, a move eastwards where there's the uh, the Balkan states and the Eastern European uh, states where potentially um, there's additional countries that want to come into the EU Union as an economic union and a political union uh, against some of the uh, upsets that are going on in, in the wider world. And for that, though, it, the, the, the rich established states, um, you know, the six founders of the EU, create some concern in there uh, about bringing in uh, new countries that need to be leveled up uh, to have an equality of an equal set of people. And, and lo and behold, the EU suddenly come up with the idea of different types of membership uh, to, to, to fit the different types of country. So let's consider letting Kosovo in uh, or Georgia in or Armenia into the EU uh, or Ukraine, uh, but let's make some restrictions so they haven't got the full rights of, of other countries. Uh, so that considering an EU light, uh, and, and some of the political parties in the UK would consider that EU light as a way to undo uh, the Brexit uh, uh, regime. But also what it does, it, it allows the EU to bring in uh, more people, more resources, more marketplaces for their, for their existing businesses and regime but the, the, the other side 
tied to that as well that, that we need to think about is that um, <clears throat> when you when you bring this in that you uh, there's two things two factors one does it increase a, a nationalism or a national concern when does the individual concern of Italy with its migrant crisis or become an issue for the EU as a whole or is it a case of not in my backyard it doesn't bother me um, but maybe if if um, Finland and Norway feel threatened um, with uh, what's going on in Russia maybe uh, you know they want to you know have their cake now uh, and eat on that side of the um, uh, eat the cake of, of the EU now that the geopolitical changes are going on around the world um, so the, the Austria uh, to protect their border in terms of asylum seekers coming across so asserting their right as a country to say no Slovenia is, is a safe country so stay in Slovenia seek your asylum there don't come into into Austria and this sort of changes the dynamic within the EU in terms of not everybody wants to accept the same set of rules and let's check so let's change the rules so you've got EU light where you can pick from um, you know a, a selection box of 10 different uh, things, rules that you want to follow or, or not follow. So these are things to consider um, uh, about the EU. And then to top it all, with these uh, proposals and these talks about creating a pick and mix EU, uh, you've then got the scenario where the founder members, the central uh, economies are talking about creating a group of six where they've got special privileges and special voting rights, class A shares in effect for the EU to give them the rights over uh, other countries which not are equal, uh, but not as equal as some of the other countries. And um, so as we saw in Animal Farm in the 30s is, is that um, the oppressed revolted to create a new regime uh, and a new way of running things. Um, but then a new elite arose up out of the middle classes and they become more, more equal than the other members of the EU states. So pick and mix could introduce uh, poor relations um, and uh, new regulations could create inner circles and, and privileged few. Um, These are the issues to consider uh, when we're when we're living and working abroad. Not sure what that interruption was, but uh, it shows we're in real time. Um, but thank you, Apple, um, for uh, when my phone's been on mute, not not muting it. But uh, there we go. The final thing to discuss today is. Um, that I want to discuss is that there's there's no you in Uzbekistan. What do we mean by that? Interesting developments going on in, in, in the Balkans. The biggest land empire ever to exist was actually the one created by Genghis Khan in the 12th century, uh, where he went from Mongolia right the way down and into India, creating um, a one single uh, empire. Uh, and, and, and that 
uh, it still has manifestations today in, in lots of little countries where you see a country called Stan or, or people called Khan, um, Pakistan, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, uh, are, uh, are all countries that, that derive from this uh, original Mongol empire. But what we've seen is with this, that over the last uh, 100 years is, is the Soviet empire uh, build up. Uh, and this is the, the cause of the disturbance that we've got um, in, in the old Soviet uh, Union uh, that existed um, um, after the revolution in 1917. In 2021, they invaded Georgia uh, and that became part of the Soviet Union. Georgia subsequently got independence, um, but how independent is that? Because the Soviet Union reinvaded uh, uh, Georgia, created a military base, and, and the uh, previous president is now in prison on hunger strike uh, in Georgia. Um, uh, well, they, the Georgian-influenced president uh, continues to assert their authority to do things uh, with a Russian-leaning approach, which is fine. Choose that if you if you if you're Georgia. Belarusia is got looks towards Moscow as well. Um, earlier this year, uh, last year, there, there was also a, a re re revolution, um, an attempted coup in Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan is. Uh, it's got a landmass as a country. It's a very rich oil country. It's got a landmass that's bigger than the whole of the European Union put together. Now, little put down that was put down by Russian intervention that kept the existing Moscow-facing president um, in, in power in, in Kazakhstan. Um, <clears throat> and then last week, uh, Moscow influenced Armenia and Azerbaijan have been having. Uh, a tussle and a fight for many years. And it's about the race and the ethnicity between uh, the peoples of uh, Azerbaijan and the people of Armenia. And, and there was a little enclave which has been maintained in Azerbaijan, of Armenian-based people uh, in Azerbaijan. And they, their troops invaded this area and took it over uh, last year, um, it, which it's been a, an area of dispute for 20, 30 years. Status quo has been maintained by Russia. And so what we've seen in the last few months over the last year is Armenia looking towards the West and the European Union, whereas Azerbaijan have been looking towards getting control of the disputed territory once again. And they've been allowed to do that. Um, but the, the guarantor of the status quo was Russia. And I've clearly, they've allowed them to do that. That will create some goodwill from Russia in Azerbaijan. Why is this significant? Well, if you look at the situation that's going on in the Ukraine and, and the positioning, it, you've now got um, Belarusia, Georgia, Armenia and Azerbaijan. Our countries that all surround the borders of the Ukraine, as does Kazakhstan. So Ukraine's borders, whether or not with Russia, all those countries now are controlled and influenced by 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 uh, 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 Russian, the Russian leaning.
So Armenia and Azerbaijan have also got borders and relations with Turkey. So it, it, you've got a situation where the Ukrainians are being uh, brought under a geopolitical influence within the EU. So what that, does that mean? So the, there is no you in Azerbaijan, I, I suppose, Azerbaijan, but uh, there is an R, and that's the Russian influence. And uh, we have to wait and see what the implications of that are for the, the, the war that we've got in Greater Europe, in the Balkans, in, in Russian lands uh, of the Ukraine and Russia, and, and see how that's going to pan out for the world going forward. For Cyprus tax residents, there's more news. Uh, what we want to look at is the changes to Cyprus tax rules. Uh, there's two significant changes that come in for uh, tax residents in Cyprus uh, that are living and working abroad as well as residents. Uh, first of those is that yet again, uh, Cyprus has extended the deadline for completing the returns uh, for 2022. So it's a calendar year tax year system. The, the tax return for 2022, uh, it needs to be submitted by the end of October now, instead of the end of September. So it's a month long extension for anybody that's not yet completed a return and paid any tax that's due or balance of any tax that's due for 2022. The people that need to complete a return absolutely are um, anybody earning more than 19,500 or anybody who's self-employed in, in 2022 in, in Cyprus um, or anybody that's selling a property or anybody that, that, that dies. So although if your income is below that, you don't have a compulsion to complete a return each year, you may still need to do that return when you dispose of property or, or, or capital gains tax events, or if you die and your estate needs to be settled in Cyprus. Um, so Proact always advise completely return each year and keep your records up to date. And it helps with your, your tax uh, residency proof for other countries as well. Um, uh, and at the time you need tax clearance for property or, or probate. The second significant change coming up in Cyprus is that for 2023, um, they've finally addressed an issue. Um, in 2019, a new health tax was introduced. This is about 2% of all income. No personal allowances. It's not added to income. It, it's, it's a health tax. It's a flat rate tax on your worldwide income. So if you earn £1,000, you've got 2% tax to pay, 20, 20 euros. Um, now, they haven't got any effective way of calculating or collecting that tax unless you're you've got your income is arising within cyprus so when expats are, are living in cyprus and they haven't got that earned income and haven't been doing the return there's no assessment to 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 find that tax which could still be due on dividends interest capital gains uh, and earnings from from overseas so from uh, 2023 so the tax return that's due for 2023 next year in, uh, in in so the 2023 return is will be due um when we get into 2024 everybody earning more than one one pound one euro 
will be required to complete a tax return uh, for each year that they're resident in Cyprus, um, which, which will make a lot of clarity and means that even if you only earn a hundred pounds a year, you've still got two pounds tax to pay uh, for the health tax. That's irrespective of your, what your situation is. It, it, it's, it's a flat rate tax uh, on your uh, uh, income from around the world. Uh, it's not uh, uh, offset against personal allowances or, or any consideration like that. If you're a Cyprus tax resident and you're going to need a tax return for 2023, let us know. Uh, contact us at projectpartnership.com and we'll be able to give you help and guidance. If you still need to do your 2022 return and you're not sure if it's been done or if the tax has been paid, you need help and guidance on that contact us uh, at projectpartnership.com and our Cyprus office will, will help you out on that. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you again next time.